Welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish, two capital raising experts on a mission to demystify and equify the world of investment for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Listen in as they sit down with fundraising veterans and share with you the success stories and cautionary tales of outside-the-box capital raising. This is Capital Insight. Hello, this is Jenny Casson with the Capital Insight Podcast here with my colleague, Michelle Timish, and we're so excited to be talking today to David Lynn of Mission Driven Finance, which is an organization that's been doing outside-the-box investing for quite a while now. And so, David, we would just love to hear the origin story. How did you get into doing this work? And you know, what has been the trajectory of Mission Driven Finance since you started it? Sure. Thank you, Jenny and Michelle. Great to be here. So I personally came out of the family office investment environment, managing traditional global uh, assets, equities, private investments, all normal stuff without an impact lens or even an ESG lens or anything like that. Um, I, I don't always admit it after the big short came out or, or like to talk about it, but was trading derivatives, not the kind of derivatives that were there, but a lot of hedge positions. And at the same time, was volunteering my life away with nonprofits, community organizations, philanthropic groups, but was really sort of living two lives in that, that sense. And then those lives started converging and I got excited. So often when I was working for family offices and doing investment management, there was usually charitable vehicles, other sorts of things, donor advised funds, whatever it was. And I would be managing money in that. So there was this, this philanthropic and community building angle, even though that's not how we were managing the assets. But then this 10 years ago or so, this impact investing world started picking up. And these investors and family offices and philanthropic institutions I was working with were like, hey, so this impact investing thing, we might want to try it, but we called our broker at Morgan Stanley and they didn't have anything for us. So how do we do this? And so started looking for deals and different sorts of things, actually was working with one very specifically that said, why don't we try some, some loans to nonprofits? And so I went out, I found a package of, of deals in our community in San Diego, my hometown, and they said, ah, never mind. We're not really interested in doing it as family offices go. And then I started saying, well, I sort of want to do it anyway. I think this is a good thing to do. And with my other life and working with the orgs, kept seeing all of these businesses, these nonprofits, just really not being able to access capital. And so we started saying, okay, well, if one side has capital, they want to deploy and don't know how, and the other side needs money, there ought to be a way to connect that and put that together sort of at the same time we started working and was working with a number of other organizations in san diego including some banks our uh, local player cdc small business finance who has since merged with capital impact partners they are one of the the top sba lenders in the country um, and they said well here's the type of deals we can't do can you all find a way to do them and so we started poking around and and doing some investigation and, and started realizing, okay, if you're a small business or social enterprise or nonprofit and you need two undergrand, three undergrand, four undergrand, and you don't own hard assets and you aren't on the venture capital path, which many of these community organizations, community focused businesses and organizations aren't. And 
especially if you don't look like me being a white guy, you're really out of luck. It's too big for SBA and microfinance. It doesn't have the guarantees. Most CDFIs won't play. Banks won't play. Again, if you're outside the venture, really tough. And we said, well, that's a spot where we can move capital. That's a perfect place to, to be moving capital. So in 2016, uh, myself and my co-founder, Lauren Gratton, uh, we formed Mission Driven Finance. We started with a place-based fund in San Diego to prove out that thesis and say that we can move capital in that gap. And from the beginning, started doing it with no credit scores, no personal guarantees, no hard collateral requirements, said we can write a $300,000 loan to a good small business that's advancing economic opportunity through health, education, workforce development, other sorts of things in the San Diego environment, and we can do it. So uh, we started that fund, still up and running in 2017, been deploying capital, have put about $9 million out in that vehicle. And then in 2019, really started leaning into just saying, okay, well, that infrastructure, we know how to do this. There's work like this to be done all over the country. How can mission-driven finance provide the infrastructure to partners and entrepreneurial support organizations and accelerators and incubators and community development groups all over the country? And that's been what we've been doing since. Wow, that's incredible. It's interesting to me that you um, launched in 2016, right around the, the same time that we got the regulations for yes. investment crowdfunding. What, what has been your experience in those five years? Um, do you see, do you see it, this evolving to a place where this becomes mainstream at some point? What, what are your observations as an insider? Very few people have your sort of inside view of things. So, sure. Thanks, Michelle. So few uh, few points on that. One, our feeling was more and more people, as you can see it with the growth and demand for impact investing in ESG, even if a whole bunch of it is impact washing, still more and more people want to invest the same way they shop, eat, all those kind of things, right? And so why can't you do that with your investment portfolio? So our feeling is there's just continual demand from product, particularly from younger generations who are inheriting money, often from grandpa and um, women who are uh, gaining more access to wealth themselves, looking at what that investment portfolio is doing. So there's that's the demand side from uh, the capital. We built Mission Driven Finance and said our mission as a financial services company, not a fund one, fund two, fund three venture shop, but as a financial services company, we always said the goal is to mobilize capital, in our case with our mission, to increase inclusive and equitable access to education, health, and wealth. So that mobilization of capital is really what we hone in on. And from our standpoint, that's from all different types of sources. Unfortunately, due to the regulations that you all well know, and what got started, as you said, at, uh, about that time, it is still really hard to pull capital from non-accredited investors. So most of what we end up working with is high net worth and institutional type investors that are interested in doing this. However, our whole belief is it should be easy to invest in your community. People care about their community, they want to invest in their community, and most people can't. And so we look at it and say, that's, that's really the goal. 
um, our, our big focus where we're hoping to drive more and more, even though we had to start with accredited and institutional investors, is to create more opportunities to let non-accredited investors be able to invest in the things they care about. Um, and I can talk about a few things we've, we've been working on there, but it's, it's still not easy, unfortunately, especially and um, without getting uh, too wonky, but, but I know Jenny knows this, it's still very hard to pull non-accredited into a fund. You can crowdfund for a specific company, but it is very difficult to pull it into a fund vehicle. And that's, that's still a big holdup. Yes, Michelle and I have been geeking out about the uh, 2012 Jobs Act and what it says <laughs> about who is allowed to raise money. And it excludes this huge swath of businesses that might be considered investment funds. And it is yep. very frustrating. <laughs> very, very frustrating. We have looked at a number of different ways, partners in the space, we think we'll crack the nut in a few places, or we'll get big enough that we launch public vehicles with one effort we're working on in the early childhood space. We're actually looking at a, a goal of launching a public REIT, a real estate investment trust, so that we can access non-accredited individuals that want to invest in the early care and education system. But that's what it, it takes the size to be able to do public registrations at that level. Um, that is a, a whole different level of compliance and expense. Yeah. Do you want to share some examples of things that you're thinking about as you do try to start to open up these opportunities? Because my impression is, and you can say more about this too, that so far you have a pretty darn good track record. You've done some amazing funds um, and you're proving your model. And so opening it up to more people is, you know, a no brainer. So you know, what are some of the ideas that you have for, for making that happen, you know, step by step? Sure. So I think really what we look at and in, in terms of gaining access, it does come with size and track record, as you mentioned, so that we can access different forms of, of capital markets. So one thing we've really spent time on, which we look at different than where so far, though the market's evolving, groups like CDFIs and others have been spending time, our feeling is there's a lot of money sitting with RIAs, registered investment advisors, wealth managers, estate planners, donor advised fund sponsors, those types of things where they don't really have access to this type of product to do the work to get product on a platform at a reasonable size wealth manager even a small one, is a real challenge. And a lot of what we're talking about with these sorts of community-driven efforts, it might be a $5 million vehicle, maybe 20 million, maybe 50 million. A lot of the places, that's still too small. And so if we're really bringing these really bespoke, targeted, community-driven projects, then we need an intermediary and infrastructure like Mission Driven Finance that can get it on a platform where once it's blessed on the platform, it works. One of the first places we started as Mission Driven Finance was getting blessed by community foundations for their donor advised funds so that we could be an external uh, investment manager. So effectively anything on the Mission Driven Finance platform, the donor advised fund participants and also the corpus of the community foundations could invest with us. And so that created opening access. Now that means most donor advised funds are opened by wealthier individuals. However, there are a lot of uh, younger and, and not yet wealthy 
uh, people that have donor advised funds for various reasons. We even had uh, a woman, uh, a young woman, open a $5,000 donor advised fund so that she could invest with us as a non-accredited individual. Um, and so that was that was a wonderful way to tackle it. But so one is really getting through the, those platforms, those gatekeepers. The other way is getting to the size and scale in different ways that let us access different forms of markets. Like back to the CDFIs, we've seen some of the larger ones be able to float public bonds. That works in the nonprofit space. That works in other sorts of realms. So where are the opportunities to float into the public markets, whether those are debt instruments, whether those happen to be something that can float through a, a Reg A plus, um, where we can really start accessing different forms of markets, uh, the traditional markets, um, the, the tools of the wealthy, if you will, um, but be able to do it in a way where we can direct the capital into the community. I think the other thing we're starting to poke at, and, and Jenny, you know this, um, is, do we have ways to take portions of our portfolio and offer it up under uh, the crowdfunding regulations um, outside of the investment company structure where we create access for uh, non-accredited individuals or smaller check writers to be able to uh, deploy capital? I'd say the last one, it really hasn't, we haven't yet figured out how to break the barrier for non-accredited, um, but what we've seen is a lot of smaller investors aren't able to uh, meet the minimums of various investment vehicles. And now that Mission Driven Finance has a whole pile of client partners around the US that we're working with, um, I think we brought 16 on the platform last year. Um, we expect to do 20 or so this year in 2022. That now we can create the opportunity for somebody who might only be able to invest 50,000 or 100,000 or 200,000 to be in a diversified portfolio of targeted high impact community driven initiatives, where if they were having to meet 50 or $100,000 minimums on each one, they wouldn't be able to. And so that's a, that's a new product um, that we're bringing to market next quarter. Great. And I know that you, you don't uh, currently, you haven't had the opportunity to really target those non-accredited investors and it's encouraging to hear that your experience is that is that that interest level is there and that people really do love their small businesses and want to invest in their communities. What do you think about the process of really engaging people? Because I mean, demand is part of it, right? How do we get regular non-accredited investors to even understand what it's like to invest? Um, at the local level, are there things that you think that the ecosystem as a whole could be doing a better job of in terms of helping people understand what getting your money or at least a portion of it out of the public markets might look like? <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Yeah, so much of the world is just driven around be in the stock market, be in the in the S and P. Um, I think some of the, the recent things, as messy as they are, certainly what crowdfunding has done and that people can log on to uh, uh, any of the, the crowdfunding platform and see deal flow, I think is helping people see opportunities. Even the fiascos with things like Robinhood, it's letting people see the opportunity to make 
choices with their money, whether that's good or bad from an investment perspective is not what we need to opine on here, but that you don't just have to put it in a mutual fund. Um, and I think that's where the world changes. Still, so much of it is driven. And I think where, where Wall Street is still making their money is based on these, these fund products, right? And while that's a good thing in some ways, it certainly limits people's ability to make choice. Now, there's only a subset of the population that's going to spend the time to want to be doing investing. That's not everybody's thing. So then there is a subset or a, a, a different set that does need fund vehicles because they're not going to spend the time on a crowdfunding platform to go pick you know, uh, to build out a portfolio of different investments. That's a major investment. And that's somebody that's very comfortable with investing. But that said, that same person emotionally might say, I'd love to have a portion of my portfolio. I'd love to take 10% of maybe even my small $100,000 investment portfolio and put it in things that I care about in my community or for women or immigrants and refugees or education or whatever that is. And how do I create the opportunity to do that by relying on other partners and intermediaries and fund managers that can do it? And so to me, I think it really is, is cracking that opportunity. And one thing we even tried with our company, which was still very difficult, and maybe some of your listeners will provide a solution. We wanted to offer a 401k to our employees that created opportunities for this type of targeted investment that has a, some form of impact lens. It's really hard to find a 401k provider that a small business can access that would actually, that has that type of product on the platform. That right there would be a huge change that would allow people all over to start moving their money into things they care about. But it's, it's still just so difficult. Yes, very true. So you are one of those unique people that we always love talking to that have spent time in kind of the belly of the beast of Wall Street trading derivatives, and then left that world and started doing something completely different, totally trying to create, you know, the most wonderful solutions to our community's big, our, the, you know, our world's biggest problems by creating, you know, community based investment models. So I'd just love to hear a little bit more about, you know, how does it feel to go from one world to the other? You know, even you might've taken a big pay cut. <laughs> I'm curious, like, do you regret it? You know, what are your thoughts about that world that you left? And, you know, do you, do you ever miss it? I'd just love to hear kind of your, your personal take on having had a foot in such different worlds. Like, what is it? What is that like? Hmm. I mean, I would say I love it. It's definitely a pay cut, not just for moving industries, but for starting my own business. That that is, that is certainly a, a different game. Um, now, paying to have a job is uh, is how it tends to go. Uh, but I think for me, it was really, and as I mentioned, I, I was sort of living two lives. One was the financial world, and one was working in community. I'd always had an entrepreneurial bent. I love working with startups, have done various uh, ones myself, both for-profits and nonprofits, and been involved. So for me, it was just so wonderful. And I, and I love it every day where now I live one life. It's all mission-driven finance. 
I'm getting to use my financial skills. I get to work in the community. I get to work with and meet great people like you two. And so from that standpoint, I have no regrets. I think there's always challenges in starting and growing a business, um, but those are, are expected challenges and known. Um, so that's fine. But, but the aspect of being able to work in the community to feel like what we're doing has a chance to make a difference for our employees, for the small businesses and social enterprises we work with, and if we really dream for the financial system as a whole. So uh, I definitely don't have any regrets from that standpoint. And uh, I hope I'm, I'm doing mission-driven finance or something like it for the rest of my life. Yeah, we, we do too. <laughs> we want you to be doing this for a long time to come. Let's go back to San Diego um, for a sure. minute. And, and the other thing we really like to do is to hear stories about things that did work. You know, do you have any examples of that place-based funding that you did that is really sort of inspirational and um, innovative in terms of what you funded and some of those success stories? Let's see. Yes, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of, of what would be appropriate. I think for us, a big part of it is we've always taken a community-connected capital approach. It's why we started and believe in place-based and community-driven strategies. We think that's a big part of the, the de-risking element. Um, so for from the standpoint and, and as an example, in a place and with a high network mindset, you know a lot of different players and participants. So we talk to a group that comes and says, they've got an amazing idea to uh, shift the local food system and how they're gonna uh, generate some purchasing from local farms into local restaurants. Well, we can instantly call the people we know at the Food System Alliance and say, are you working with this group? Do you know them? Are they engaged? Because if our partners don't have a deep network mindset, the companies we're working with, there's no way they're going to pull off that kind of thing. Um, and so often we can get instant validation of, oh yeah, they're amazing, or I have no idea who they are. And that lets us uh, move forward. I think the other thing uh, things we get excited about are when we see the opportunity to work with a small business and maybe move them a little further on the impact or the community development spectrum than they would be. So a lot of them come to us and running a small business is tough and they've got a vision of growth. Um, we worked with one that uh, was running a variety of uh, uh, various forms of, I think they had coffee shops some co-working space, some different sorts of things. And they said, well, we're hiring people and turns out they had a connection to the veteran community, but they hadn't really focused or encapsulated how they could bring veterans into their workforce. So we were able to spend time working with them, connecting them uh, with some other local uh, community partners who are deeper in the, in the veteran space and talk about how they could actually be, be hiring veterans as part of their workforce. So then that moved from a loan to a small business to a loan to a small business that has a deep focus on increasing jobs for the veteran community. 
And so that type of thing is, I think, where we really get really excited when we when we when we can engage, which we can do on a place-based effort, and where we often say our type of work in that type of loan fund in our advanced strategy is the opposite of fintech. This is high engagement work. And so that ability to really be to be deep working with partners like that and help them figure out the future of their business is is where our whole team just gets so excited. I love it. We feel the same way. I mean, every business is so unique and there's so many creative things that you can do to support them. If you don't think of them as just, you know, a number in your spreadsheet, but actual yeah. uh, people with, you know, creative things to offer the world. So yep. we totally agree. So we'll kind of wind down. And I think one last question we would love to ask you is, um, you know, given that you are helping a lot of entrepreneurs, the kind that we love to support as well, that often cannot take advantage of some of the, you know, the bank loans or, and they're not on the venture capital path. If you could, you know, sum up some words of advice for that kind of entrepreneur that has so much potential, is doing wonderful things in their community, but they're just perplexed by the world of finance and don't <laughs> even know where to start. <laughs> what would you advise them to do? Good question. Um, for one, so if it's truly, I, I want to separate, if it's perplexed by the world of finance is different than I've been beating my head against trying to get capital, right? And so by perplexed, then it's about finding those advisors, mentors, incubator or accelerator programs, um, business development groups that can start to point in, in good directions about uh, where where not even in good directions, but help them structure to be able to understand finance, even what finance they need. I think so often just angel capital is is fetishized, and so people assume, oh, I got to go raise equity, I got to go try have do a seed round and want, you know raise a million. Well, that might not be the right thing for some companies. That's the right thing for a lot of companies. That's not the right thing, um, or even if they if they can even do it, and a lot of them can't even do it, as we know the, the percentage of, of those that end up successfully raising. So I think part a big part of it is just know what you're raising for and why. And if it's not something you know internally, go talk to somebody who might be able to talk about the difference between a debt investment or a revenue-based finance investment or an equity investment, when you would take which ones, uh, in what order, Often it's for companies that grow, it's going to be a both and and, and a multitude of, of those efforts. And so I think that from the from the perplexed standpoint, and then with that, and even for those that might be less perplexed, generally going, I don't think this will be a surprise for anybody that's been through it, but make sure your investor, whether that's a bank whether that's somebody like Mission Driven Finance, a venture capital or angel investor, that they're aligned with what you're trying to achieve because it will get messy later on. And so if you have an investor that isn't aligned, it's, uh, it's, it's just a mess. And at the end of the day, you as an entrepreneur, if you've got an investor that's not aligned, even if your company is working, it might not be your company anymore. And I think that's just, that's something we've seen, you all have seen 
small businesses grow and that founder is kicked out of the company. So pay attention depending on your goals. Thank you so much, David. That was amazing. We're just, we're so happy to have you as part of this ecosystem and we can't wait to see what you and Lauren and your team do as you grow and, and build more amazing tools to get more people involved in mission-driven finance. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. And of course, in the show notes, we will share links so that people can find you and learn more about what you offer. Do you have any questions for our securities lawyers and capital raising experts? Call the podcast hotline and leave us a message at 866-552-7726, extension 5. You can also send other inquiries to podcast at jennycasson.com. We'd love to hear from you. Music for the Capital Inside podcast is still searching by Damon Criswell via Audio Hero. Thank you for listening to Capital Insight with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish. Until next time.